Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 and 16. This Sermon on the Mount has been uh, challenging at, at, at times because the text is challenging. And where we're at today comes on the heels of Jesus talking about the narrow way and the broad way. The narrow way in the sense that it's difficult to get through and not many find it. The broad way, which is open to everybody, there's no rules, there's no regulations, there's no stipulations. In fact, they probably push back on those that do uh, try to limit some type of moral or ethical teaching. My goodness, look at our world today, folks. Look at what is acceptable today. And then people say, well, all roads lead to God. No, Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. There is a very narrow way. What you will always get from this pulpit and my ministry is that there's only one way to God and that's through Jesus Christ. So in light of this, in light of this fact that Jesus is the only way, it is a narrow way, it is a way that is uh, perilous at times for believers, it's very difficult. And yet the kingdom of God is so easy. Jesus came and died on a cross, paid for our sins, that when we trust in Him as our Lord and Savior, we can get on the narrow way. And people miss that. But Jesus turns now and really addresses the issue of the broad way. The way that leads to destruction and mentions here wolves among us. The New Testament church was not exempt from this. Many New Testament churches were embedded with false teachers who were teaching other than what Jesus Christ had taught. And what we learn today is, be alert to false teachers. Be alert to false teachers. Verse 7, 15. He says here, be aware, beware of false prophets. Prosecco, it means, in, in a sense, the word beware there means uh, to be constantly vigilant. It means it's much like a military term where uh, troops would be uh, diligently alert to the enemy activity, to watch, to stay, to stay awake, to be alert. The word phos is an interesting word itself. Pseudoprefetes, pseudoprefetes. And that means somebody who says that they're preaching the truth, but in actuality, they are lying. So a the call for the believer is to be aware for people who will preach, in a sense, they are saying they are preaching the truth, but in actuality are not. And there's so many false teachings going around today. Uh, I think of the name it, claim it, theology of the charismatics. Watch how you speak because it will materialize. That's all false teaching. 
I mean, you think about the apostles for a minute. How many of them were multimillionaires? Jesus Himself said, even the Son of Man does not have a place to lay His head. So this idea that we become rich and wealthy and all these things is, is inconsistent with the teachings of the New Testament. These pseudotype people who, there's several of them, there's, there's three we're going to look at. Number one pseudotype is a pseudo-prophet who claims divine inspiration. Listen to this. Jeremiah 23.16 God says, Do not listen to the words of the prophet who prophesy among you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions from their own mind, not from the mouth of God. When somebody comes and says, I have a word from God, it should be a light. It should be something going up. Okay, is this really from God? And, and I've wrestled with, with this. At, at what point, since I'm the, I'm the preacher and I'm called by God to preach the Word of God, at what point does the sermon become inspired? I simply don't know. I think it's a, that's a tough one. I, I can tell you in 30 years of pastoring and preaching, I've made mistakes throughout sermons. Maybe miss a transition point, maybe misquote a scripture. It's not uh, intentional on my part. But at what point does the sermon become inspired? That's a really good question. I think whenever God speaks to your heart about something that the preacher says, it becomes inspired. But I can tell you this, we know this is inspired. We know that we can trust this. So as the Scripture is read and as it is preached, uh, it can become inspired. But the prophets that Jesus wants us to be careful with is those that claim divine inspiration, but as Jeremiah says, did not come from God's mouth. So we, we have to be careful. And by the way, if anybody says they're a prophet, and I've seen this, watched videos, <laughs> prophet so-and-so says this, there are no more prophets. Every prophet that we have has already been mentioned here in the Scripture. So we've got to be careful with that. Secondly, pseudo-apostles, they claim uh, apostolic authority. For example, I'm just giving you one place here, 2 Timothy 2, or 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 and 2, and this is Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together with Him, do not be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by spirit or spoken word or letter seeming to be from us. In the New Testament, there were uh, teachers claiming apostolic authority it had nothing to do with the original apostles. And again, if somebody says that they are apostles so-and-so, the days of the apostles are over, they are contained in the New Testament. So we need to be careful. And I've said this throughout my years of, of preaching. Uh, I want you to not just listen to the sermon. I want you to go home and test it against Scripture. See see if, uh, see if something that I said didn't line up with Scripture, then simply throw that out. I don't have a problem with that. But we need to be careful. We just don't soak in information. Years ago, there was a a janitor in my first church, he came up to me and was talking about his pastor talking about uh, a cow of multicolors. 
and saying that the colors represent all this stuff. And I, I just listened to him and I said, I don't know where your pastor is getting that. I haven't found that in the Bible. Oh, he just mentioned it. And so the people chewed it up. And they swallowed it and they digested it. Look. We don't need to make the Bible more exciting. We don't need to make the Christian life more exciting. Let me, let me tell us something this morning. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. How much more exciting can that be? God living in us. And so, when we come to Scripture, it should be alive in our hearts. We don't need this external stuff coming in and somebody claiming to be uh, having apostolic authority. Those days are gone. We have enough excitement just having the Holy Spirit inside of us. Such a wonderful thing to see when somebody comes to saving faith in Christ. Do you remember that day? Angels in heaven rejoice. Doesn't get any better than that. Thirdly, pseudo-teachers. Pseudo-representing those who are claiming truth, but in actuality are preaching falsehood. Turn people away from the truth. Paul, again, writing to his spiritual son in the face, 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. For the time is coming. This is today, by the way, right here. What I'm getting ready to read is today. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and turn them away from the truth. Again, it is vitally important that you grow in your Christian walk so that you know falsehood when you hear it. Bill Fote, I, I miss Bill. Bill used to sit back over there and one, one Sunday, such, such a great guy, all of us knew him, such, such a great guy. I think you did BBS with him for years. One day he was walking out and we were talking about something and, and the sermon came up and, and, I, he said something about it, and I said, well, I'm, I'm glad it touched you. And he says, there's one thing I do know. I do know a sermon when I hear it. Bill got that because he studied the Scripture. He knew the Scriptures. you got to know the Scriptures before you can distinguish what is right and what is wrong. Several weeks ago, a church member, a former church member, died, and I... It really shook me. She was a great lady. I think I mentioned her a couple of weeks ago. Uh, this is not a game. We are not playing a game here. On Sunday mornings, this is not a game. This is real. This is preparing us for life. It's also preparing us for eternity. And by the way, those of you that are watching by Facebook this morning, if you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today would be a great day. And at the end of the sermon, I'm going to tell you how to do that. So we're to be alert for these false teachers. Um, in Jesus' day, they had the Pharisees and the scribes. They were, you could say they were mostly on one end. 
And then you had the Essens, the Zealots, and you had other groups. So when Jesus arrived on the scene, he had all these groups going on. Those were the groups that gave him the biggest problem. Because he claimed that there's only one way to God, there's, it's through him, and that shook their religious world. Now when we look at two groups in particular, opposing religious groups, you had the Pharisees and the scribes and the zealots, some other uh, sects that were in Jesus' day. Most of them believed that the Old Testament, the whole and whole of Old Testament was law. We're talking about the, the, the Pentateuch, the Torah, whichever way you want to say it, and all the Old Testament books. They believed it. Secondly, they, they upheld oral tradition. Oral tradition meaning that this was passed down by mouth, generation, 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 generation. Wow. I think about the Jewish kids. Uh, by the age of 11, they could pretty well recite a lot of the Torah. I wonder how many of our kids could do that. Tough. The Torah is the highest act of worship for the Pharisee didn't really involve temple. If you were living by the Old Testament, the, they would say, if you were living by the Old Testament, that is the highest form of worship that you could attain. They believed in a resurrection and afterlife. Jesus could get through to this group. Do you see this? It's amazing that they missed it. They missed all the prophecies of Jeremiah. New day is coming when I will write my law in your hearts. The prophet Isaiah talking about the suffering servant. It's amazing. Jewish scholars missing Jesus Christ. Can you believe it? Then there was another group over here, the Sadducees. They were kind of a sect unto themselves. As we unpack it, I'm going to show you what they believe. The Torah is God's law. So the Torah is the first five books of the Bible. Anything after that was suspect. So when you get to the prophecies of Jeremiah, you get to the prophecies of Ezekiel, you get to all the major prophets, they kind of ignored that. They rejected oral tradition. They believe it could have been changed. Maybe in some ways it was, I don't know, but they rejected it. Temple worship was the real form of worship. You know, you look at these, these two views here. The Torah is the highest act of worship, but the Sadducees, temple worship was the real worship. Yeah. Temple worship was the real worship. So many times, and I'm not saying we do this perfectly, I want you to understand that. I, I personally believe that as believers we should live the gospel. That we should try within us and within the power of the Holy Spirit to live what we believe. And granted, everybody in this room, so wonderful to see so many people this morning. Uh, you come without maybe sometimes come without even living the scripture well they you're you're that's what the sadducees believe 
that that's the highest form. So we don't live the Christian life uh, Monday through Saturday, and we come and we worship and we think we're good. No, worship takes place every day. And I would agree with the Torah, the teachings of Christ. It's probably the highest form of worship because you're surrendering your life to him, trying to follow him each day. And it's tough. I know it's tough. No resurrection or afterlife. This is the best way to remember the Sadducees. No resurrection of life. That's why they were sad, you see. That's the easy way to remember the Sadducees. This is what Jesus was confronted with. So Jesus knew all of this. He knew all of this. And he says, be very careful. Be alert. When Jesus says that, it's something that we should embrace. It's something, okay, Jesus said it, not Pastor Mike. I'm just, it's really, it's really wonderful that all I have to do is study the scripture and preach what the scripture says. That's the wonderful thing. I don't have to invent this stuff. I don't have to come up with it. I just have to proclaim, kerjima, proclaim the word, proclaim the truth. Yeah, the Sadducees, they would have been a tough group to get to turn. This week, this week, this week, I talked to a man <clears throat> for 35 minutes. I talked to him. He believes I embrace all religions. My response to him was, how do you know which one's right? 35 minutes I talked to him. How do you know which one is right? And he would, he would go back and forth between, yeah, I get that, I understand it. He was confused. And I prayed for him after we finished our conversation. Embracing all means that you are on the road that is wide. And Jesus said we've got to be careful with that. There's a danger. Look at what he writes, what Jesus says. Who come to you in sheep's clothing. Erkomai, come. That word, this phrase actually, who come to you in sheep's clothing. They pretend to be harmless, but in fact are dangerous. They're predatory. They will, they sound really good. Boy, that sounds really good. I want the easy way. That's, that's what we all want in our lives. We want the easy way. We don't want the hard thing. But Jesus says the narrow way is hard. We looked at that last week. It is tough. It is difficult. And they come to us in sheep's clothing. They pretend to be harmless, but in fact are dangerous. This went on in the New Testament. Paul, putting Titus on the island of Crete, wrote this, for there are many rebellious people, mere talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. Who's the circumcision group? The who? No. The Jews. Circumcision group. Good. Uh, they must be silenced. They must be silenced. It's not something, well, just let them go ahead and, 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 and keep uh, upsetting people. No, they must be silenced. They must be stopped. They were in the household of faith. They must be silenced because they are ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach and that for the sake of dishonest gain. It's those televangelists, probably 
a lot of them get a bad name and probably for a good reason. Reach out, touch the screen, and pass me your green. One evangelist, they found hundreds, hundreds of prayer requests in a garbage dump out back of his ministry. They get rich off the gospel. The gospel you will not get rich off of. The only way you'll get rich off the gospel is when you receive the truth of Jesus Christ. Then you become wealthy inwardly. Because the gospel is the richness of God for all who will believe. Well, they come to us. I'm harmless. I'm not really changing things. And then you buy into it. But notice what Jesus says. But inwardly are ravenous, ravenous wolves. So thin. Inner being, thought, behavior. They are not one of us. You don't think that can happen in a church? It can. It can happen in your life as you watch TV. Test everything. This is the wolf that Jesus had in mind. By the way, read an article this week where wolf attacks are increasing in Israel. One attack from a year and a half ago, uh, a baby was attacked by a wolf. They're having a problem. And also with the pigs and the, the wild dogs that we looked at already. So these animals, the image would have probably been resonating with the audience. They knew these, these wolves were fierce. But to show you a greater image, Jesus talks about they come in sheep's clothing. They look like us. They may be in church. They may go to worship. They may even talk like Christians, but actually they're not. When you look at these two pictures, this wolf is very sleek, Wolves are cunning. Uh, in fact, when they get in packs, they're very difficult. I don't fear when we go camping, when I take the kids at Trail Life and we go camping, I don't worry about coyotes so much. I worry about wolves. Wolves go in packs, and they will attack, and you have to be careful. The sheep. Actually, sheep are not that smart. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to make you mad this morning by saying you're not that smart. Uh, very cumbersome. They can't run fast. They can't get away. They come to us in sheep's clothing, these wolves. They look like us. They might even sound like us. I had a deacon years ago looked at me point blank. Nothing against our deacons. I love our deacons. I know they're solid but this deacon looked at me and said, God doesn't answer prayer. I just looked at him. And I had another deacon that believed the Old Testament contradicted the teachings of Christ. What's that about? Again, that's not our deacons. I know our deacons. I've known them for 13 years. They're solid. Biblically. But brothers and sisters, just because you're a deacon or a pastor doesn't mean you've got the truth down. And so, here Jesus says, 
these wolves. He calls them wolves. The wolf is a natural enemy of the sheep. The sheep is defenseless against the wolf. The only thing a sheep can do is kick, but when that sheep is separated from the flock, he flounders. And that's who Jesus, uh, that's who Jesus is warning against. He's warning against us guarding ourselves. That's what we ought to be about here. We need to take care of each other. We need to watch out for each other. We have certain beliefs, uh, which I believe are, are biblical. We have them in our statement of faith. I would encourage you to get on our website and read them. There's quite a few. But ultimately, <laughs> we believe that this was verbally inspired by God. There are no errors. There are no mistakes. We may make mistakes trying to follow it, but there are no mistakes in here. Hired shepherds back in the day would flee if wolves came around. Why? Because that really wasn't their sheep. And they would become fearful and they would run. These images probably playing on the audience. Maybe some of the Pharisees. I don't know who was in the audience, but it was big. A shepherd... A biblical shepherd would stand and fight. Good, bad, or indifferent, I am your shepherd. But I am the under-shepherd to the main shepherd. So that means not only am I held accountable to him, I must be accountable in my preaching ministry to guide you down the path on the narrow way. Again, there's times I'm going to make mistakes, maybe misquote something, get something wrong, it's not intentional. It's just part of preaching. It happens. That sheep is defenseless against a wolf and got to be careful with it. John Stott wrote this, Some try to make out the narrow way is in reality much broader than Jesus implied. And that to walk on it requires little, if any, restriction on one's belief or behavior. If it was, if there was, you know how many ethical teachings there are in the New Testament and the Old Testament? Just tons. And I, I fear that, that sometimes we will live our lives and just say, put that under grace. That's something that, you know, I just need to file under grace and I'm just going to keep doing it. As a believer, we want to try to live and model the Christian life. It's not perfect, but we try to model that and live it daily. And again, it's difficult. It is not easy. It's a tough task. So beware of false teachers and examine their life. That's key. Jesus says you will recognize them by their fruits. Epigonosco. You will recognize. Epigonoso. Perception. Spiritual. So when somebody preaches or teaches something, 
you look at their life to see if they're actually doing it. Whatever the teacher may be. Here in this text, false teaching. The word fruit is, or you will know them by their fruits, is karpos. And that refers to conduct. That refers to conduct. How do they conduct themselves? Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of like Jesus is, is telling them, keep a watch out on this. And then he shifts and he goes, let's look at their fruit. Let's look at their conduct. What is actually coming out of them? The fruit image is often used in the New Testament. I'm going to give you from the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 3.8, before the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Well, to bear fruit in keeping with repentance means that something is coming out. It's visible. Somebody who accepted Jesus Christ supposedly at the age of six, but never goes to church, never exhibits, they... they use words that sailors wouldn't even use, um, chances are that person is under the delusion that they've trusted in Christ. You need to bear fruit by an inward change. Our Sunday school is going to talk about that today. By the way, my I got donuts for our Sunday school class, so we're good. It's all good. See, that, that's how I draw them into my Sunday school class. I, I, I throw donuts out there to get them in. Um, Matthew 3.10 Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You cannot live the Christian life all the way through without bearing fruit. It's impossible. If you're a born-again believer, you have the Holy Spirit living in you, you will produce fruit. It will be visible. And yes, the argument could be, well, there's people that can counterfeit fruit. Yes, they can. But God knows the truth. God knows the reality of it. Matthew 21.43 Therefore I tell you, this is after the Sermon on the Mount, same book we're in. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people who are producing fruit. That's a reference, obviously, as the New Testament continues, away from the Jews and then to those who follow Him. The point is that a believer will produce fruit. You can see it. It doesn't mean it's done perfectly. And the Apostle Paul writes this in Galatians, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, Self-control. Against such thing there is no law. So if a person is unloving, always angry, not peaceful, doesn't tolerate stuff well, isn't kind, doesn't produce goodness, you got to question, was there ever a time when this person received Christ? And if that's the case, if that person happens to be teaching or preaching, then you need to back away. Watch their lives. That's the word conduct. Now the last thing that we want to look at is the two questions. They're short, 
Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? Are they? No. Or a fig from thistles? No. Grapes grow on vines, and you can pick those. Oh, figs. I love fig newton. You guys, gals love fig newtons? Yeah, I love them a little too much. That's why I try not to buy them. But this, those, that's a fig tree. There's no thistles on a fig tree. There's no thorn bushes on a vine. The point Jesus is making here, they would have instinctively known it was part of the culture. So Jesus has used wolves, he's used sheep, he's now using figs, and he's using grapes, all things, by the way, contemporary preaching Jesus did, used things that they knew well. But he's asking, he's clarifying a point here. Good fruit only comes from good trees or good vines. Again, it can be counterfeited, but eventually what you believe will come out. What you believe in your Christian walk will eventually come out. And false teachers, they, they can't hide it long. So in conclusion, let me, let me say this. Be on guard. Watch, when you watch a sermon or you listen to teaching, check it out. Don't just drink it in and swallow it. Remember, Satan is at work. Satan is at work. If I were Satan, I would want people to think that they're on the narrow way when in fact they are on the Broadway. And I'm not talking about Broadway like on stage. I'm talking about they're on the broad path that leads to destruction. And lastly, test everything. You need to test it. Don't just embrace it. Test it.